The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living. This thing about parenting is a bugaboo, isn't it? A century ago, children were to be seen and not heard, and now they are to be heard above the parents. And then we have the experience of Tiger Mom, who seems to be urging us toward the inevitable pendulum shift backward, insisting that children are to be uh, automatons of the parents' need for affirmation. We bounce around between the polarities with regard to parenting, with even the arguments for and against corporeal punishment for children still raging, and with the paradigm of school as parent being also called into question. But today, I think we might be about to find the balancing point. According to Dr. Shafali Taspari, conscious parenting means turning the traditional notion of parenting on its head. She believes that conscious parenting shifts the epicenter of the parent-child relationship away from the traditional parent-to-child-know-it-all approach to a mutual parent-with-child relationship in which the parent learns alongside the child. With this model, instead of being merely the receiver of the parent's psychological and spiritual legacy, children function as ushers of the parent's transformational development. In the traditional model, while parents are trying to lead and mold their children, they are also unwittingly passing on an inheritance of psychological pain and emotional shallowness. But with Taspari's model, children serve as mirrors of the parent's forgotten self so that both parent and child help each other to be more authentic. You do, we cannot afford to not talk about this today, particularly with the hot topic out there of the Tiger Mom, even today again on the Today Show. Dr. Shafali Tsapari received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University, New York. Dr. Shafali was exposed to Eastern mindfulness at an early age and integrates its teaching with Western psychology. This blend of East and West allows her to reach a global audience. Her ability to appeal to both a psychologically astute and a conscious-driven audience establishes her as a -a one-of-a-kind in the parenting field. Dr. Shafali has worked with a varied demographic, ranging from survivors of the Asian tsunami to third-world women, from inner-city youth to suburban families, and from the elderly and infirm to corporate leaders. Dr. Shafali lectures extensively on mindful living and conscious parenting around the world and is also in private practice. She resides with her husband and daughter in New York, and we are very lucky to have her today. So welcome, Dr. Safali, to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you so much, Andrea. It is a pleasure to be with you today. Well, we're very glad to have you. And I'm just going to sort of talk with you about the book and what it has to say. And one of the things that you said in the book is parenting unconsciously is where we all began. So can you say a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, you know, when people pick up the book and the title and read the title called The Conscious Parent, they often get intimidated believing that in order to be a parent, one can only be a good one if one is a conscious one, and also that a conscious parent is one that is, uh, you know, by definition, a fixed, a, def- a defining of a fixed way of being. And what I try to tell people is that we all begin with some degree of unconsciousness, and our ability to get conscious really signifies our ability to be aware of our unconsciousness. So we all need to begin with what already is there, which is the unconsciousness, and shed light on the unconsciousness without fear, using it as a growth tool, and and then by turning the spotlight within the self and on the transformation that can occur from within, this automatically brings about consciousness. Right. So our children help us see ourselves as children, and they help us see our own unconscious material as well. Well, yeah, you know, there's, there are a few others with whom we're going to engage uh, in such an intense fashion as we do our children. Mm-hmm. You know, they are perhaps the only beings on earth that we call ours with a sense of righteousness and entitlement and possession almost. So it is with them precisely that we will unconsciously project all our past emotional material onto, all our unconscious conditioning from our own childhood onto them, because we believe that they're ours. So it's, it's the, in the mirror that they reflect back to us that we get to see how it is we are yet meant to grow. You know, they would reflect back not only our own childhood, but also where we have become rigidified in our egoic presumptions, you know, in our entitlements, in our control issues, in our dominance, um, or in our inability to handle conflict, inability to trust the world. In all ways, our children reflect back to us how it is we're yet to grow. You know, children, more than anyone else, also live in the present. And we adults don't live in the present. You know, we are mired in the past or we stay stuck in the hopes of a future that isn't yet here. And children, by being so firmly rooted in their bodies, in the here and now, really show us how we are unable to do that, how we are unable to be in our bodies, own the moment, be completely here and now, and then let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, so children show us how to do that, but more so they show us our resistance in doing that. So they have so much to teach us if only we would really understand their their mission in our lives rather than just focusing on how you know we have come to their lives to change their lives. Exactly. Exactly. And I really love the way you uh you talk about that because the idea is that when the way you said it in the book is that when we're raising our children we're we're raising a spirit throbbing with its own signature. And that is just not the traditional um, model. The traditional model is that the child is here for us to mold. So can you say yeah. a little bit more about a child with its own, the spirit throbbing with its own signature? Yeah, sure. You know, when, when all of us pre-parenthood, you know, when we realize we're going to become parents, all of us hold these 
fantastic, you know, ideas and illusions of what it's going to be like. And if we're really honest with ourselves and look deep within ourselves, we will realize that all those illusions, all those fantasies, all have to do with what a wonderful parent we're going to be, how much wisdom we're going to impart to our children, how they will become products of our intelligence and our wisdom and our upbringing, and very little realizing that, you know, this is not about us controlling them. It's really about us equally learning from them because they come to this earth not you know a lump of clay ready to be molded by us but instead a unique signature with with a unique signature ready to impart ready to contribute and ready to impact as much as they are willing to be impacted upon mhm yeah so they they are already authentic beings when they get here and we don't they don't need our molding well, they don't need our molding. They definitely need our guidance, and they definitely do need an adult presence. You know, sometimes, you know, we uh, people who react to the model I present, you know, uh, in, in their defensiveness, think that this is all about, you know, complete hands-off approach. Yeah. And I and I tell them that this is not about being permissive or lax or negligent. This is about knowing our boundaries. We are there to provide them guidance and a role model and adult, um, you know, maturity, but that's about it. And then allowing their spirit to manifest and unfold as it's meant to be. Um, and it's this delicate dance and the willingness to engage in the dance of maintaining adult responsibility, but also surrendering to the childlike wisdom that they have that is really the hallmark of a conscious parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So... So in order to be a conscious parent, we're paying attention to what they're teaching us as well as what, how we can contain them as well. Exactly, because if we don't regard what they're teaching us, then we're simply oblivious to the fact that they come unique in this world and that we need to respond to the call of their spirit. If we just pay attention to our adult responsibility and, and our place in their lives, and look at it from that perspective, then we're just going to miss the fact that they need to be nurtured as they are meant to, and that they can teach us. You know, and sometimes I tell parents, let's just forget for a second what we are doing to them, because that is really a a great, important, and essential byproduct of what they can teach us. Because the more awakened we can get in our own lives, regardless of children, and then more so when we have children, will then directly impact the quality of childhood that our children will have. So our children shine the light on our rigidity, on our egoic conditioning, on our unconsciousness, on all those unprocessed emotions that keep coming up when we get triggered. Our children reflect that. So if we are willing, they will allow us to get awakened if we look at the the reflection they afford us. And just through that awakening, just by becoming present to our own unresolved and unmet emotional needs, we can then, you know, release them. Because when we don't do that, what we do is project all our emotional baggage onto our children. You know, as simple as if we are anxious, pre-parenthood, if we were really anxious and we grew up with a philosophical model that said that the world was a hostile place, then unconsciously we are going to project this onto our children. Now, our children didn't ask to inherit such a philosophy of the world, but we willingly and unconsciously give it to them. So just in that example is one of the many ways that we project our unfinished business because we grew up with pain and trauma 
on to our children. And that's not really the legacy that they need to inherit. They need to inherit a legacy where the world is trustworthy, where the world is joyful, abundant, uh, and that the world will be there for them. So it all depends on the worldview we grew up with. And it's to our benefit if we begin to examine that and undo some of the old patterns. Right. So in, in, in that process, as they reflect back to us, the genuineness of, of the potentiality of the world, we also grow and, and move out of our own pat, traumatic past. Exactly, exactly. Right. Right. So, so what would you say, and we, we have just a few minutes before the break, but what would you say if, to a person who said, yeah, but the world isn't always good and kind, and, and you know, how do we teach our kids to deal with betrayal and, and uh, lies and cheating and the unethical stuff that goes on in the world as well? That's a great question. So right there is, you know, is the answer, because when things do happen, when good or bad things happen, let's teach our children the right way to respond when it happens. Versus if we grew up with a worldview because of our trauma and we decided then, we made a decision long time ago in our childhoods that the world was da-da-da, whatever, untrustworthy, uh, betraying, um, you know, lacking safety and trust, then we give that to our children even before they need to experience that. And that's the difference I'm talking about. Great, great. Thank you so much. That's a real a responsible answer because it says... We respond in the now, not in, into a worldview. Exactly. Right. So, all right, we're going to be back in just a few more minutes with Dr. Shafali talking about conscious parenting. Stay with us. You don't want to miss this conversation. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Mark your calendar for the Institute of Noetic Sciences 14th Biennial Conference, Noetic 2.0, Tools and Technologies for a World Transforming, July 20th to the 24th at the Weston Market Street Hotel in the heart of San Francisco. Deepak Chopra, Edgar Mitchell, Joanna Macy, and others will help you navigate a world transforming. Registration is now open and space is limited. So sign up now to join the ION's global community in July 2011. For more information, go to www.noetic.org. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network.
You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. The Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. That's N-O-E-T-I-C dot org. And today we're talking with Dr. Shafali Saspari about her book, The Conscious Parent. And uh, we're learning that the ch- our children have just as much to teach us as we have to teach them. And we're in the mutual kind of interactive uh, paradigm of consciousness and unconsciousness so that we're moving and shifting each other as we go and grow. Is that is that a pretty good look at that? Absolutely. That's a great way to put it, you know, and, and it's really about shifting the traditional parenting paradigm, the one that is often espoused in media or the one, like you said, the tiger mother espouses where the parent comes from a place of dominance and know-how and control um, and moving away from that and not seeing our children as products or creatures of our imagination or people that we get to mold, but instead people in their own right with a unique spiritual signature that we get to guide and, more importantly, learn from, and that they teach us ways that we need to transform ourselves. Exactly, exactly. And since you brought up Tiger Mom, I want to talk about that. One of the paradigms that I heard her provide on the Today Show a couple of weeks ago, and I may not get this story just right, but I want to use it because it exactly talks about uh, how we can put our stuff on our children. Um, she talked about having uh, performed in some way when her father was watching and when she was a child and that her father, ta- uh, she did not become number one. I think she got number two in this whatever it was, some contest. And, uh, and her, as she left, her father told her, do not ever embarrass me that way again. And I found that to be so very sad because what I saw that as, as it was the father needing the daughter to approve of, uh, to pr- prove to the world that he was good, as you've said, a good parent. He, she was there to affirm that he was a good parent instead of him being there with her to allow her to grow as she was. Oh, my goodness. Just in that one example, there's so many things that scream for, you know, help and caution. The first one being the the saddest, which is that most of us parents, because of our own past trauma and pain and where we were not honored and revered even for our essence, our authentic selves, grow up needing crutches. You know, we grow up needing other things from the external world to fill and gratify us. Sadly, what we often do is use our children for that purpose, and they therefore stop being children or human beings in their own right, and unconsciously, we make them 
the missing piece of us, or we try to make them fulfill that missing piece of us. And that's what happened with Tiger Mom's father in that moment, where he could no longer see her for herself and her achievement and her growth and her path, but only could see her as an extension of himself and, and only as, an, as a mirror of his own inadequacy. And because it was so intolerable for him to sit with that inadequacy and to sit with the imperfection because of his own past trauma, he just could not tolerate her imperfection. So that is really the, the most typical way we parents, you know, um, trap our children and suffocate their truest potential. The, the next thing that that example you, ta- you just gave illustrates is how we are so caught up today and so obsessed with competition, mm-hmm. with uh, perfection, and with the doing aspects of life. And what we are moving away from are the growth aspects of life and the being aspects of life. You know, when we give the message to children that there is only one perfect way to achieve something or only one perfect spot at the end of the tunnel, you know, the first place is the only one worthy of honor, what we're really teaching them is that they can't rely on their inner being, and and that's not going to be enough. But secondly, it engenders an even greater worldwide philosophy that there's only one first place. So there's only one piece of meat on the table. So who's going to get that piece of meat? This is a dangerous philosophy to inculcate and to pass on because it is the, the basis of bullying. It is the basis of racism, you know, that there's an other and a, and a me versus the other. And it, it just engenders this highly competitive spirit and it removes us from a mutual cooperative world. Yeah, absolutely. So well said. And you know, that whole idea of that what you've said is so full, so chock full of so much more we could talk about with regard to bullying and racism and all of that. So I'm gonna get, I'm gonna try real hard not to go there. It's tempting, but I think you know, one of the things I wanna to get to is you you've talked about that whole idea of the the uh, the teaching our children that they need to our approval. And one of the things you talk so beautifully about in the book is how we can release our children from our need from, for approval, uh, for, for, their, for their need for our approval is what I'm trying to say. So can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah. Again, it ties into the philosophy we have as parents about our own place in the world and our relationship with the universe. So when we have the philosophy that we are each here to grow and that every behavior is a manifestation of the next step where we're meant to grow, even bad behavior, then we no longer see the need to control our children through approval or disapproval, but instead teach our children how it is that their bad behavior, quote-unquote bad behavior, is an obstruction towards their own inner essence. So it's a subtle shift, it's a reframe, but it's a very powerful reframe because it really takes the parent out of the equation but instead shines the light on the child and puts back on the child's, in the child's power his or her own destiny. So, you, and if you understand the, the difference, you can, one can see that it's not about the parents' like, likes or dislikes, but really how the child can better manifest their own unique essence and is their behavior taking them in line with their essence. And the minute we, we, we shift from that place, that initial place of control, 
to the second place which I'm talking about, which is of greater connectivity, where two spirits are walking this path together and no one is greater than the other, then the parent is the usher for the child to wake up and see if their behavior is really effective. Is their behavior just futile? Is their behavior just, you know, an obstruction to them really getting their needs met in a more effective way? So we become true teachers and educators, and we're no longer, you know, just looking to disapprove or scorn off or make judgments off our children because we are not setting the yardstick. The yardstick is our children's own essence. Right, right. Yeah, that's just such a just such a paradigm shift right there. That is the entirety, as I see it, of the paradigm shift that we're we're teaching child to look the child to look inside him or herself for who they are, rather than teaching them who they ought to be to please us. Right, and this doesn't mean that we, you know, now don't teach them about good nutrition, or we just let them cross the road without teaching them the tools. You know, this doesn't mean that. This means teaching them all the tools, but taking our, our own need to be heard, our own need for power, our own need for right and wrong out of the equation, but really reflecting back to our children their need. You know, just shifting it away from the parent saying so because I'm the parent to I'm saying this because it may be good for you and this is how it may be good for you, but now you need to really make a choice. Um, and, and the older and older children get, the more we give them that reflection. It's really about how we interact with them and how we seek to make connection. Do we seek to make connection through this, you know, from this pedestal of control, or do we seek to make connection from a truly authentic place of knowing that we are co-travelers on this journey? Wonderfully, wonderful said. Yeah, I, on the other hand, we have to be a little bit careful about saying what we think is good for our children because there's a lot of subtle manipulation that happens that way. I'm, I'm doing this for your own good. I mean, we have to, we have to uh, pay attention to our own essence in order to be able to honor theirs. Isn't that true? Exactly. And what is that own good? And we have to really undergo some self-examination because... You know, ultimately, we will be, you know, whether we like it or not, we are going to impose ourselves on our children. We can't get ourselves completely out of the way. But what we can do is realistically know that, that we're not going to completely get out of the way, so we have to be realistic, but also be mindful of whose need are we serving when it comes to some major things in life. You know, are we serving our own need or are we serving our children's need? So nutrition, for example, we would like to serve our children's need to get good nutrition. But then when it gets to a point where the child is simply unable to, perhaps, or is just too picky a eater, or we find that their picky habits is causing anxiety within us, then soon it becomes, or very quickly, it becomes all about us and very little about them. So how do we keep the focus on their true needs? And the way to do that really is really take care of our own needs on our own time and not project them onto our children. Yeah, that, that, yeah, you said a mouthful. I think that's very, very important, and I so agree with that, that paying attention to our own needs means that there's an equal honoring of needs, not I sacrifice myself for my child or I sacrifice my child for myself, but both needs get to be honored on an equal level. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there's so many parents who in the, in the, in the service of being, quote-unquote, good parents, what they actually do is create lax boundaries. There are some parents who create too rigid a boundary, and then there are other parents who create too lax a boundary between themselves and their children, and then they don't 
allow their own authentic needs to be met, and then their children, you know, don't learn that they have to live within the container of both self and other. And it's vital that we teach our children how to respect us, but the the model really there is how we respect ourselves mm-hmm. um, so that our children know that, yeah, they are, they are of supreme importance and their being is is essential and vital and beautiful and wondrous, but so is mine, you know, and and we as parents need to let children know that, that we treat ourselves as divine as much as we treat them as divine. Um, and that and that's how our children will learn to know their own boundaries. Right. And like I said at the beginning, I think we've been sort of flipping between the different polarities there. On the one hand, it's all about the parent. On the other hand, it's all about the child, and we flip back to the parent and flip back to the child, and we... We don't find that middle ground, and that's why I think your approach um, so helps us get that balancing point where we just can kind of go, okay, both people in this equation are equal in terms of their uh, their their basic needs and their essence. But but of course, the child is younger and needs to be presented some true education, not just uh, not just rulership, uh, as I, I hear you saying it, but that its it, its essence is actually equal to ours. Absolutely. Okay, well, we're going to be back in just a few more minutes with uh, Dr. Shafali and Conscious Parenting, so stay tuned. There's more yet to come. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Mark your calendar for the Institute of Noetic Sciences 14th Biennial Conference, Noetic 2.0, Tools and Technologies for a World Transforming, July 20th to the 24th at the Weston Market Street Hotel in the heart of San Francisco. Deepak Chopra, Edgar Mitchell, Joanna Macy, and others will help you navigate a world transforming. Registration is now open and space is limited. So sign up now to join the ION's global community in July 2011. For more information, go to www.noetic.org. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. 
That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Dr. Shafali Tafari uh, about her book, The Conscious Parent. And uh, this is just not your typical uh, parenting book, is it? It's not a how-to for how to make your children behave or, or how to uh, fix your child that's broken or any of that. It's, it's really uh, a different kind of paradigm shift. Can you say some more about that? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because um, most parenting books out there or the ones that parents want to read are those books that offer those quick fix-it solutions uh, to make their children angels uh, in a minute. And this is not that kind of book because in my years of practice as a therapist, I've seen that quick fix-its simply do not work. Behavioral strategies work only for momentary release of tension. They do not create long-lasting change. And what I've found is that the, the real sturdy path- pathway to long-lasting change comes from connectivity, from connection, from emotional connection. And the way that I present it in the book is that the parent needs to first learn how to connect with their own child and adult self. And once that pathway to the inner self has been created and uh, solidified, then the parent will be more easily able to connect with their children. And once this connection is firmly in the foundation, then all the rest is gravy. Then we may fight and we may have conflicts or we may not have conflicts or the child may get bullied or not or get a C or an A grade. All of that becomes secondary, even inconsequential, to the first foundation, which is connectivity. You know, when we teach our children to connect with themselves, um, and that's multi-layered, that includes both authentic expression as well as quote-unquote discipline, then from that springboard and, and from that knowledge that they are within the container of a very strong emotional connection between parent and themselves, from that springboard, they can fly. But if that first initial foundation is not there, then everything else flounders. And that foundation will only be there when the parent learns how to be connected to their own essence in a very solidified, sturdy sort of way. And how else would we know as children that we are truly loved if we don't feel connected to our parents? Yeah, and and connection really means that mutual restoration, that mutual kinship, that you know, where children feel empowered, you know, that they are vital and contributing and strong and they have a voice and they can say no and no one is going to judge them for it and they can defy. You know, often parents come to me and tell me that their teenagers have, you know, driven them crazy and their the little angels have now become these monsters of teenagers. And I, and I smile inside myself because if we are really doing our job well, our, our, t- our children will be defying us from day one because mm-hmm. why shouldn't they defy us? When we're two people living within the context of a cold, close relationship, there's going to be that tug of war of wills. That's just natural. So when that teenager finally erupts in adolescence, that's just a sign to me that they were towing the line till now. You know, they were just following the program, and now they finally found their own voice and they're breaking free, and most parents can't tolerate that. You know, they go nuts. They come to therapy. They bring their children to therapy. But really, 
technically, if we think about it, if there are two spirits in a, in a very close, engaged, intense, dynamic relationship, there's going to be, you know, many semblances of de- defiance from a very young age, and that's healthy. You know, when it becomes unhealthy is when the spirit is squelched. You know, natural emotion is emotion, and it needs to be expressed. So to ask our children to simply go along with our flow and simply um, follow us because we are bigger, grander, and better is just uh, unreal. It's unrealistic. It absolutely is, and it, 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 it truncates uh, the human evolution, doesn't it, psychologically speaking? If, we, if I does. say that I'm the only person who's got wisdom and my children don't, then all I'm doing is passing down my own wisdom, and where's the growth in that? Exactly. What's the point? And, and that's what I feel like we're missing the, 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 the biggest jewel of the parenting journey is not about raising that amazing kid who goes to Harvard, but really becoming that authentic parent who goes deeper into its essence, his or her own essence, and comes on the other side wiser. You know, and many parents will tell me when, when their teenagers are off, you know, now applying for college or their kids have just gotten married or having their own kids, that they'll shake their head and tell me, I now get it that this whole journey was about me. You know, in, not in the narcissistic sense of the word, but in the spiritual sense of the word, that all of this was really about my own evolution and I just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I hope that this book will offer parents, that that chance to see how this can be about their own evolution and to take that chance and invite in that possibility. Absolutely. And in my own experience, I don't mind sharing this, I, I, uh, I had a, a, an Asperger's disordered child, and he was a challenge, and I didn't know what to do, and it was before the time when that was an open thing, and, and I was uh, just uncertain, and all I, had, all I could do was sit with myself and figure out how to be creative and listen to him and figure out what he needed and, and, and sort of mirror back to him, okay, here's what you're thinking, what, what I heard you just say, and what do you want to, how do we want to work this out? And I just got extremely creative. And he, when I look back on that now, and, of course, I even was aware of it at the time, that I was growing exponentially because of him being in my life. And uh, I'm so grateful to him for all the massive learning that I got from him. I'm just forever grateful. Absolutely. Now, if we had the tiger mom's philosophy, for example, what would we do with a child like that, right? Mm -hmm. There would be no room for that child, you know, and we can't send our children away. We can't say that's not my child. Mm -hmm. Um, No, we have to embrace our children for the lessons that they have to give us, just like we have to do for every opportunity or event or circumstance that comes our way. But most of us, like to resist that which, which we don't like intellectually. But it's not about the intellectual like or dislike. It's really about our inviting in the emotional growth that comes with every lesson. Whether we like it or not, life happens. And it's our ability to engage with that life in a, in a way that we can flow with it that allows us to ultimately grow, to release, to surrender, and to really live in the present. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So children um, can be, in one sense, a kind of a psychological ex- uh, existential crisis for us to help Absolutely. us find out who we are. Right, and as you know, most of us grow the most when we are faced with that existential crisis, when we have the cancer in the body, when, when we do divorce, when we do find out that our spouse cheated on us, when, when the economy crumbles and we lose our job. Most of us find ourselves 
in those moments of crisis, or we go even further away from ourselves. But it's really those moments of, you know, and what, what are those moments really uh, in terms of spiritual growth? It's those moments when the egoic conditioning, when that sense of I, you know, I am, and this is who I am, and this is how my child will be, and this is how much money I make, when all of that crumbles and disintegrates, and all we're left with is, is that sense of essence. And now if we haven't developed that essence, or well, we all have the essence, what I mean to say is if we haven't developed that connection to the essence, then we are lost. Um, but really, that's what we all return to at the end of the day is our connection with essence and each other's essence, because that's all we have. And and when we're in touch, continued t- in touch, when we continue to be in touch with that divinity, then life's circumstances can come and go. But they're like pages in a book, and you know they just keep turning. But we stay at our core, open, inviting, uh, and surrendering. You know, because that's the only way to live life ultimately. Yeah. Absolutely. So what are the, some of the ways that we can undermine our attempts to connect with our children? And I'm assuming it would be the same way we undermine our attempts to connect with our truest essence. Absolutely. Well, through resistance. You know, when we resist <laughs> what they're telling us, right, because we simply don't want to go there. Now, parents will tell me, but then how do we keep our children safe and how do we keep them respectful? And and I use those two examples because safety and respect are perhaps the only two times that I will give parents the green light to kind of be parental, you know, in the truest sense of the word. But again, with the caution that it's the method more than the message uh, that's at stake here. You know, the message is important and safety and respect are paramount, but how do we go about communicating that message? And it's in the how that most of us mess up because we just get too dominating and too controlling and then too punitive uh, when our children really are coming from a state of just not knowing or their essence screaming for greater help, you know. And if we don't remember that our children's, quote-unquote, bad behavior is really an expression of an inner need, then we're always going to just go into that controlling place and want to punish them and and annihilate their spirit because it's too... um, too intimidating to us, too, or we are too lazy, or it takes too much work, too much creativity, and who wants to do that? So we look for the quickest fix, which is to control the child and to zip the child and to, um, you know, send them to their room, and as long as we feel like, uh, you know, we're in control. Right, and we feel okay, and it's kind of like we dust our hands, and that's it. That's all we have to do. Exactly. Right, so uh, you've talked also about reveling in your child's ordinariness, and I know that's a big topic, and we just have a few more minutes before the break, but I want to at least get started. Sure. You know, so again, it's, it's, you know, do we feel as if in our essence we are whole, or do we feel that we need all the accoutrements of achievement and success and wealth and status to make us whole? And if we are not in our essence uh, engaged with our divinity, our wonder, our awe, our completeness, our wholeness, then we will always seek more, and actually nothing will ever complete us. And then we pro- project this inefficiency, this insecurity, sorry, this inadequacy onto our children as well. And then we want them to be bigger, grander, better. So what I propose in the book is how we can return to our essence. And in doing that, we do our children the biggest favor because we allow them to revel and to uh, engage with a deep, deep connection with their essence and that we communicate the message that they don't need to be 
anything in order to be worthy of our love, our our approval, our, our presence, our attention. They have it already. Right. So they don't, yeah, absolutely. They have it already because we are connected to their essence and they're connected to their own. Exactly. All right. Well, we're going to be back for our final segment with Dr. Shafali in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Mark your calendar for the Institute of Noetic Sciences 14th Biennial Conference, Noetic 2.0, Tools and Technologies for a World Transforming, July 20th to the 24th at the Weston Market Street Hotel in the heart of San Francisco. Deepak Chopra, Edgar Mitchell, Joanna Macy, and others will help you navigate a world transforming. Registration is now open and space is limited. So sign up now to join the IONS Global Community in July 2011. For more information, go to www.noetic.org. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. You live for the first in your child's life. But how do you cope with the first that come after your child is diagnosed with cancer? CureSearch.org connects you to the doctors and scientists whose collaborative research has turned childhood cancer from a nearly incurable disease to one with an overall cure rate of 78%. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with our final segment with Dr. Shafali talking about uh, conscious parenting and I want to uh, just give you a minute, Dr. Shafali, to talk about how the audience can know more about you, if you don't mind. Sure. Thanks for that opportunity. They can visit me at my website, and that is www.global, as in G-L-O-B-A-L-I-D.com. 
So they can visit me at globalid.com and connect with me on Twitter or Facebook. They can just uh, type in Shefali Sabari's Conscious Parenting page for Facebook and reach me there. Let me just spell my first and last name for people. The first name is Shifali, that's spelled S for Sam, H for Harry, E, F for Frank, A-L-I, and the last name is Sabari, spelled T for Tom, S for Sam, A, B for Boy, A-R-Y. They can also reach me through my publishing house, which is uh, www.namastepublishing.com. And that's spelled N for Nancy, A, M for Mary, A, S T E, publishing.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for doing that. I'm sure some of our listening audience want to connect with you in some kind of way. Um, so we talked a little bit about the discipline idea, and uh, that's one of the questions that I am certain that most people who listen to your approach, because we are so polarized about this parenting issue, they tend to go, oh, well, she's just recommending laissez-faire parenting, and that's not at all what you're doing. So let's talk a little bit about that before we close. Sure. Well, there are two aspects to the discipline process that I like to talk about in the book, The Conscious Parent. The first one is what I've already touched upon, that when there is an opportunity that our child is giving us where the child is defiant or unruly or disrespectful, the first question I like people to ask themselves is, now, we can all be controlling, but is there a way that we can connect? And the first place I like to start off the discipline process is through connection. And this is very counterintuitive because the parent is like, okay, I just want to scream at my child, I want to lock them in the room, or I want to send them away, and you're asking me to connect? Well, yes, I am, because children don't really know at that moment how else to behave except in that way. And the reason they don't have other resources in that moment is because they are feeling stifled or confused or suffocated or overloaded or overwhelmed or threatened. And it is our obligation to understand that deeper emotional undertone. Now, when we are aware of the deeper emotional undertone, then we should be able to connect. Now, we can still give them the boundary and the guideline and the consequence, but we've done it through the space of connection, not through the space of punishment, shame, uh, guilt tripping, um, anxiety provocation. We've done it through a very genuine place, such as, listen now, you know, Amy or John or Jack, you know, you knew that you had to come home at 10 o'clock and you've broken the curfew and you've come at 11 o'clock. And... A part of me wants to scream at you, but I know that's not going to get us anywhere, so let's talk about this. Now, there needs to be some sort of consequence or some sort of recognition or some correction. How do we go about this? So, as you can see, Andrea, that when we engage at this level of conversation with our children, our children can respect our parental authority our parental role and our double bind as parents, because no parent wants to really be put in that response, in that role of being the one who gives away the consequences all the time. So the child can begin to appreciate that, but the parent is connecting with the child. Like, look here, I'm a human being too, you know, we, we made this condition and you've broken the condition, so now what? And help me out here. So when we come from this place, we understand that connection is key. The second thing I want to reiterate is that Every emotional manifestation of behavior is a representation of a deeper emotional need. 
And unless we figure out the need, the behavior will never go away. Now, the need could be of greater connection or the need could be of greater containment. I like to call connection and containment the two wings of the ego because besides, you know, if it's not one, it's going to be the other. Is it that the child is asking for more healthy boundaries between parent and child that the parent has not established? Or is the child craving for greater respect, autonomy, validation, uh, energetic connection with the parent that the child is starving from? So basically what this approach does is doesn't allow parents to simply go off the handle, doesn't allow parents to just rest behind some sort of simplistic behavioral chart or some silly token economy, you know, reinforcement, reward, consequence plan, but instead really delve deep within the self and ask hard questions. Because if there is a behavior that is repeating itself, then the onus is on the parent to look deeper within the self and really ask tough questions. What does my child need? What am I not doing that my child needs? How can I transform myself? What am I doing that's stopping me from transforming myself? And at these level of questions, we create that inner space for reflection, for intuition, for creativity, and then we take action. And then the action may seem really horrible for the child, like, okay, you don't get TV for two weeks. Fine, but it's coming from a mindful place. It's coming after there's been considerable soul-searching as to whose need are we serving. So basically, when we ask these questions, when we turn the spotlight within, we lose that knee-jerk reactivity, you know? And when we lose that reactivity, then half the battle is won. Absolutely. One of the things you say in in your book is, I'm, I'm going to quote you here, children are too egotistical to be thinking of us when they're acting out. They're only thinking of themselves. So don't take it personally. Inappropriate behavior is a cry from the heart. Please help me. I think that is such a powerful statement because so much, I think, of our reactivity as parents is because we think our, our children are disrespecting us or that they're trying to tell us that we're bad or wrong or stupid or whatever, you know. Right. And, yeah. Because we come from that scarcity place, right? We come from that insufficient, that inadequate place. Our own pain, our own trauma has carved that in our hearts already. So when we come from that place, then everything looks as as a reflection of our inner scarcity. But when we've healed ourselves and we realize that there's abundance within ourselves, then what our child does or doesn't do is really our child's problem. And our child will come up against that problem in society sooner or later. Yes, we need to teach them, we need to guide them, but it's really not about a reflection on us. So the first step is to extricate ourselves from that dynamic, you know, remove ourselves from the equation, and like I, like I talked about earlier, shine the light on our child's ability to reflect and make it about the child's path, the child's learning, not about the parent and the parent's feelings of hurt and disappointment, you know, that's all our drama, and we need to take ourselves out of the equation because our children are not being mean to hurt us. They're being mean because they have no other emotional choice in their repertoire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that idea of choice that, uh, that you've, you mentioned earlier that is so very important to this whole process, it allows the child to choose between options rather than uh, going only with the option we present. So if a child is acting up in the grocery store and we can say, well, you know, if you, we made an agreement that if you were going to 
act well in the store that we could go to the park afterwards. So if you choose to act well in the store, you're choosing to go to the park afterward. And if you choose to act up in the store, you're choosing not to go to the park afterward. So that they exactly. get to choose, and it comes from their essence, and they recognize it as their empowerment, not us telling them what to do. Exactly, exactly. So that's how we constantly can shine the light back on their wisdom, their ability to make choices, because children do have the ability. It's just our inability to remove ourselves from that equation, to teach them the right way. Um, and, and, and having said this, there is no perfect answer. There is no perfect child. There's no perfectly obedient child, and there shouldn't be one. It is a constant work in progress, a constant battle of wills, and a constant negotiation of spirits. Um, and sometimes it gets heated. Sometimes it works smoothly. But regardless, if we parents are in the moment, then all our discipline, quote-unquote discipline, happens in the moment. It's happening right there in the evolving relationship. It doesn't happen outside of it in a therapist's office. It doesn't ha- need to happen through behavioral charts. It can all happen within the parent-child relationship. Right. Well, that was beautiful. That was a good note to end on. So, Dr. Safrali, thank you so much for being with us today. I so appreciate what you have to say, and I wish you the best in saying it to the rest of the world. Thank you for spreading the message of the conscious parent, and it's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you. And next week we're going to be talking to Ariel Ford about the soulmate secret. If you're considering or even looking for your own soulmate, don't miss this fascinating conversation. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.